be nice if you uh, join us, you know, as far as the fellowship, having a little closer fellowship. Now, I'm not, you don't have to if you don't want to, but it would be nice, you know, just, just saying. I mean, I can see you. I think I know who you are. I see you, Sarah. <laughs> anyway, uh, maybe next time, you know, I'm trying to get us into a culture where we kind of gravitate closer instead of further, you know. So anyway. Uh, we are in Philippians tonight, chapter 1. We want to look at just three verses, uh, 19 through 21. I've titled this uh, An Eternal Perspective. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, open up in a word of prayer here. Lord, we do thank you for your uh, goodness to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you even for the, the rains. We've been lacking in moisture in, in recent months. And so uh, we thank you for some timely rains and uh, look forward to some sunshine too in the future here. But anyway, we just uh, thank you for the blessings of this day, including that we could be together tonight. We pray for your blessing on the uh, Awana Youth Group Ministries, that they would be blessed of you. The Word of God would go forth and and impact lives. And uh, just use that time. uh, Be with the teachers, the leaders, uh, the workers. We thank you for each one of them. Commit our time to you now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are in Philippians, and uh, we have noted the theme of rejoice or joy, rejoice in the Lord. It starts out with a salutation, opening prayer, and rejoicing in Christ. Our life is the section we're in uh, here tonight. We have noted it is a prison epistle, which is kind of interesting when you think about the theme joy. And uh, he's writing a thank you letter to supporters, uh, very faithful supporters uh, in the gospel ministry from from day one. And so he's writing to uh, update them as well as thank them. And uh, very gospel-oriented in terms of the emphasis here in chapter 1. If you got your Bible there, note in verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about how he's um, thankful for them. And praying for them, but he talks about then your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's thinking about the gospel in relationship to them. Um, He says, being confident of this very thing, verse 6, that he has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel You are all partakers with me of grace. So did you catch that? They're with him in the defense of the gospel there. And then uh, come down to verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, uh, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So he's still thinking about the gospel there. And then we come down to uh, verse 18. Uh, What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul's got a one-track mind. (laughs) <laughs> on the gospel. And if the gospel's going out, that's what makes him really happy. And he's really appreciative of this group because they've been gospel supporters of his uh, all along, ever since their conversion. So that's kind of a little bit of background there as far as uh, the emphasis. Well, as we get into uh, verse 19 tonight, verse 19 through 21, we're just going to look at three verses. I don't know if we can get uh, a half hour out of that or not. What do you think? <laughs> Probably, huh? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is what makes Paul tick. Uh, this is really uh, what he's bringing out here, what's behind his joyful perspective uh, all through the letter. And uh, we will see it, it really defines the purpose of his life. 
So uh, let's go ahead and have somebody read verse 19. Somebody want to just start us off there? Chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Somebody want to read that for us? Yes, John. Thank you. Yep, verse 19. Okay, now one of the things I do in my teaching ministry is I really strive hard to help people learn to think in context. There's an immediate context, there's a little broader context, and then there's, there's always a great context as far as the whole book and then ultimately the whole Bible. But there's a context here when he says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. He's convinced of it. Uh, he's persuaded. And uh, when he talks about, uh, I know that this will turn out, uh, I think he's talking about what has happened to him, going back, really harking back to verse 12 when he says, I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me, namely his imprisonment and the events surrounding his imprisonment. Uh, he's saying, I know that this, uh, this, you know, you might look at it as kind of a terrible time in his life. I mean, he's in prison here. He's saying, I know that this... Uh, is going to turn out for my deliverance. Uh, all, the, all the challenges that are involved here, it's still going to turn out for my deliverance. Well, the question becomes, deliverance from what? What's he expecting that he's going to be delivered from? <clears throat> well, let me give you uh, four views, and uh, we will talk about it a little bit further. Whoops. Maybe we'll start with uh, one and two first. Uh, first view the final consummation of his salvation, referring to heaven and glory, uh, where he will be vindicated in the heavenly court. Many think that Paul here quotes from Job 13, 16, as found in the Septuagint, giving it the idea that no matter what happens in the end, he will be vindicated in heaven. Well, that is certainly true, right? <clears throat> yes, theologically, that is true. Uh, certainly that is going to be true. So some take that view. Uh, number two, the, the fact of his deliverance from prison. Uh, in the immediate context, Paul does hold out the expect expectation that he will be delivered from prison. Uh, however, in the very next verse, he also speaks of the very real possibility of death. Although Paul does not know for sure how it will come out, he is expecting to be released. So, so they're thinking his deliverance that he's talking about here is deliverance from jail. By the way, was he released? This is his first imprisonment. Uh, he was. He was ultimately delivered this first time in, in his first Roman imprisonment here. So uh, some take that view. <clears throat> the third view, number three here, deliverance in the sense of vindication from trumped-up criminal charges that will not stand at his trial. It will come out at the trial that the issue is the gospel and not criminal wrongdoing, although this um, uh, might not mean his release. So they're saying deliverance from, uh, you know, criminal charges, vindication from, from criminal charges. The fourth view is deliverance in the sense of not failing in the defense of the gospel. So the sense in this view is that deliverance is from compromise and not being strong in his testimony for the gospel. Uh, I think it's the fourth view. I think it's the fourth view because of the context here. That's what I'm emphasizing. Again, you know, as verse 4 uh, back there, he says, In every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. And then he goes on, verse 5, uh, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So again, he's thinking about uh, the gospel there. We noticed in verse uh, uh, 7 then how he talks about they were with him in the defense of the gospel. And then as we go down to uh, verse 17, 
those that were really supporters of Paul in Rome, he says, uh, that out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Paul saw this as, as his calling, uh, to stand for the defense of the gospel. And that's really what he has in his mind here, I think, overwhelming at this point. He's not really thinking about, well, hey, my whole life is dependent on getting out of here. No, we have seen it's turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, even when he's in prison here. His concern is that he be found faithful in defending the gospel, which is his calling uh, in this context here. So that's, that's his concern. I don't think his concern is self-preservation. It's really the defense of the gospel all the way through here. And uh, really the thought concludes here. Uh, you notice, did you notice in your Bibles? I'm pretty sure it's got a comma there at the end of verse 19, right? Not a period. So the thought continues on into verse 20, and he goes on to talk about uh, that in nothing I be, will be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, and so forth. So again, I think his whole thought process here is related to the, the defense of the gospel. Four times uh, we see this uh, emphasis here uh, in the immediate context here. Um, so I would agree with this here uh, in the New International Bible Commentary. On the lips of such a man as Paul, this means far more than deliverance from bonds. The latter are incidental. His deliverance is related to the great purpose of his life and consists in being preserved from any failure to honor Christ. I do think in the immediate context that is the, the strong emphasis here. Okay. Um, notice, he says here, this will turn out for my deliverance uh, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he is uh, thinking that he is going to be delivered from failure as far as standing in a proper way and defending the gospel. And you know what? We need prayer. You ever been in a situation where all of a sudden you turn yellow? Uh, you know, you really should be standing firm and you kind of know you should be standing firm and you become yellow. That's happened to me far more than I ever want to admit. Uh, we need prayer. And, and Paul is asking for prayer for this very thing here, that he might be uh, faithful in standing for the, the truth of the gospel, defending the gospel in this context here. And this is not the only time uh, Paul will ask such a thing. Another prison epistle, right? He's in prison here too in Ephesians, another prison epistle. And, uh, you know, this is uh, in context here in Ephesians 6. Anybody remember what it is? What are we talking about all the way through from, from uh, verse uh, uh, 12 on in chapter 6. We're talking about the topic of spiritual warfare. Yeah, having on the spiritual armor. Spiritual warfare. And then he kind of caps it off, although it's not a part of the armor, but it ca caps it off with this emphasis on prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The saints need prayer. And then he asks specifically for himself and for me that utterance may be given to me. <clears throat> that I may open my mouth boldly. So he's asking for prayer that he might open his mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in, in chains. He knew why he was there. Uh, he was there to, to, to be a witness. And he wanted to be a bold one for which I'm an ambassador in, in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he's a real concern about this in the context of his prison ministry that he will be bold in that context. And uh, we see boldness and prayer going together from the very beginning. Acts chapter 4, um, you know, the, the persecution is starting to set in with the apostles. 
uh, and they're praying. There's a prayer meeting with the church, and they're saying, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Of course, this is apostles, and, they, and this did happen through the apostles. But then it says, <clears throat> when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So I want you to just see that combination of prayer and boldness there once again. Well, and then he talks about uh, the supply of the Spirit uh, of, of, Jesus, uh, of Jesus Christ. The idea of supply is abundant provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, we need the power of the Spirit behind being a bold witness like this. Uh, in fact, Christ sent the Spirit to empower us to be His witnesses. Uh, the power to be a witness for Jesus Christ really is reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Here called the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, um, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. A uh, real connection between the Spirit and Jesus. Of course, we're talking the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But Jesus sent the Spirit. The, the Spirit testifies of Christ. Um, we see this here in John fifteen twenty six. When the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me, Christ says. So that's the focal point of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and here he's bringing that emphasis out, the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit, but he's got a special ministry in testifying to the truth of Jesus Christ. Well, when you put it all together, uh, here's what we have. God works through prayer, and by the abundance of spiritual resources supplied by the Spirit, the Spirit empowers and does it, and yet he does it through human instruments in response to prayer. Both the human agent and the divine agent are involved. Again, we have the mysterious tension between human responsibility and divine sovereignty. So, uh, yeah, Paul is praying for boldness that he'll do his thing, and yet he's relying on the Holy Spirit. Putting it all together, we see the witness. That would be... Well, you got one or two answers here, right? Uh, I'm thinking about Paul here being the witness, right? And we see prayer behind the witness. That would be the church, right? Of course, Paul praying too. And then we have the Spirit abundantly providing the spiritual resources needed to make it happen. So this is kind of the formula that he's putting together as far as uh, being the uh, bold gospel witness that he desires to be. Okay, that's verse 19. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Michael? I think it's easy to miss, uh, I guess, the gravity of what Paul is talking about when he prays for boldness or when he's in prison and he's, his idea of deliverance is maintaining um, integrity of the gospel in our modern context because the, 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 th the bad things that we can suffer by coming out as a Christian in modern day America is basically... <laughs> But this was such an important thing. Um, I mean, in the early church, there were obviously lots of questionable theology that happened. But in the early church, it was such a big deal that if you died a martyr, that was confirmation of your salvation. And if you were faced with a life or death situation and you denied Christ at that point, you were essentially ostracized from the church because you proved that you denied Christ. So... It's such, a, it's such a different perspective when you see that Paul's main prayer, essentially, throughout many of the passages is, I want to stay true to the gospel, because if I don't, I have failed. 
Amen. That is so true. Uh, I really see consistently in the New Testament ultimate proof of your commitment is willing to die for Jesus Christ. I see that so many times throughout the Gospels. And it's kind of foreign to our easy believism culture that we live in. That is for sure. Amen. Yes, Kurt? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, amen. And that is a big point. That's a, amen. Amen. That's a great point. Amen. That is for sure. And it's interesting. Paul wasn't like very self-confident. Like, hey, he's saying, I need prayer here. So I could, I'll be what I ought to be here. Um, we're all human here. We're all pretty frail. Um, sometimes I feel pretty bold. And then I'll turn right around and not be bold. It's like, how come I'm inconsistent here? <laughs> well, maybe I'm human. Uh, we, we need prayer. We all need it. Okay, uh, very good. Let's have somebody read uh, the next verse, verse 20. Who wants to read that, verse 20 for us? Yes, Kurt. Okay, I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. Uh, Notice he says here, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Uh, He is confident here that he is going to be delivered to the end that he will not be ashamed. Again, note the emphasis here. Uh, He's praying, asking uh, in terms of deliverance or stating that he's uh, confident that this will turn out for his deliverance through their prayer to the end that he is not ashamed. Uh, His earnest expectation is uh, that he is uh, in great anticipation that this is going to happen. Uh, It's an intense uh, uh, statement here, really. Um, It's it's used of a spectator on edge at an athletic event who's on kind of like tiptoe watching to see how the outcome's going to be. So it's uh, it's that kind of an emphasis. Someone has said Paul was on tiptoe to witness to Nero here. And uh, so he has uh, earnest expectation and hope. Uh, Hope in the New Testament is a certain expectation, uh, expecting God uh, to answer and to deliver him from any failure as far as uh, or or compromise in this context. And he specifically says that in nothing I shall be ashamed. This is the great issue, the great issue. And boy, this is right with what Michael was talking about. Um, This is... I don't think we can appreciate how intimidating this context was. I was reading an article today by uh, Ron Bigalki. And in this article, uh, it's about another subject, but it relates here. And he's talking about uh, one's life could be taken uh, uh, capriciously in the Roman Empire. Calgula and Tiberius were first appointed co-emperors. When the Senate and the people later chose Calgula... Uh, to be the sole ruler, he murdered Tiberius. Calgula also murdered his relatives, tortured and killed people while eating, named his favorite horse as counselor, uh, declared himself to be a god, and dedicated sacrifices and temples to himself. Calgula was assassinated, and his uncle Claudius I became the next emperor. Claudius delegated his responsibility to his wife, uh, Masalina, whom he later murdered. He married his niece, 
uh, Agripnia, the younger, who was responsible for his poisoning. Uh, this is interesting, isn't it? I mean, you could make a TV series out of this. Uh, prior to his death, Claudius banished all Jews from Rome due to unrest from believers proclaiming the good news of God's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Nero became emperor following Claudius's death. Nero had his mother murdered when he was age 22, later divorced and murdered his wife. Nero instigated the great fire that consumed Rome in A.D. 64, and yet he blamed the Christians. Consequently, he tortured and murdered Christians publicly. You understand, this is the guy that Paul is going to have to go before, shortly, and face. And, uh, you know, in that kind of context, tremendous pressure to maybe, maybe shrink back a little bit. Maybe let up. Maybe not be so bold and forthright with the gospel. Paul is praying that he'll be bold. He'll be forthright. No watering it down. No, boy, I walk on eggshells. Nero's here. No, he didn't want to be that way. He wanted to be very bold. But he's asking prayer to that end. Uh, I think this uh, was his greatest pressure point yet. Uh, he had had some other ones along the ways, but th- this was, as far as humanly speaking, the greatest pressure point as far as a threat to his life uh, coming before Nero. Again, Nero had no qualms about killing people. He'd been, my goodness, killed his own mother. He's age you know, 22. I mean, there's no problem here. Who's Paul? We don't care about this guy at all. There's no qualms about just wiping him off the face of the earth. So uh, big challenge here for the Apostle Paul in context here. That's easy to talk big until you're in that situation. Uh, That's why I think Paul is uh, asking for prayer. We do want to walk in wisdom towards them that are outside. I think the goal is always uh, to be an effective witness. There is a time to uh, not cast your pearls before swine. But he really felt that his calling here all the way through is for what? To be a defense for the gospel. He really felt this is his unique calling. Remember when Jesus called him in Acts chapter 9? He was to be a witness and to suffer many things, and he would stand before kings and so forth, Jesus said, and he would suffer in the process. Okay, uh, so according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. This is his expectation and his hope. Again, he's not expecting this in the power of his own self, but by the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. Uh, He says, but with all boldness, a boldness is an interesting word. It's literally freedom of speech uh, where you don't hold back. Uh, You let it fly, so to speak. You tell it like it is. You're very forthright. That's that's boldness. And uh, so given the opportunity to be before Nero, he wants to come out like a lion. That's how he wants to come out, with all boldness. Not subtly, but boldly. Very... Much freedom of speech, where I just told it all, I laid it all out there. I shared the whole thing. And there's pressure to not do that sometimes. And, he, and I think Paul felt that, that pressure. With all boldness, as always, this was uh, the pattern of his life, by the way. When you look at Paul, he'd been bold on a lot of occasions. Uh, Paul's pattern of boldness, Paul boldly presented Christ to sorcerers enraged Jews in the synagogues, to polytheistic heathen, to false teaching Judaizers, city officials, to intellectual philosophers, to idolatrous and materialistic silversmiths. After his arrest in Jerusalem, he gave a bold witness five times before the Jewish multitude at the temple, before the religious council at Caesarea, before the Roman governor Felix, also before Festus, and later before Agrippa. 
During the voyage, the shipwreck, and subsequently arrival in Rome, the apostles' vibrant and bold testimony for the Lord was steady and untarnished. That's a pretty good record, huh? Pretty good resume. Here's a guy who's, man, yeah, he's, he's going to take the stand. He's saying, but I got, I, got, I got Nero right ahead of me here, and I'm asking for prayer. And I'm confident. I have an expectation that I'm going to be bold. Uh, and so he says, with all boldness, as always, uh, consistent with his pattern. By the way, I think if you're going to be bold, what's, what's going to happen to you, do you suppose? What's Paul's experience? Huh? Yeah. Maybe there's a reason he wrote 2 Timothy 3.12. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Yeah, I think you can, if you want to be yellow, uh, you can kind of be below the radar. But if you're going to be bold, you're probably going to feel it uh, some. I've always wondered if I'm going to get through this life without going to jail. What do you think? What are the odds? <laughs> not very good. Well, well, who knows? I mean, I don't know. It's not like I got a martyr's wish here. But, uh, you know. But by the grace of God, and I, you know, I don't want to be, you know, Peter here. Lord, I'll never deny you, you know. Well, by the grace of God, yeah, let's, let, let, let's be very humble. Let's like Peter had to learn the hard way, you know. Uh, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. We are dependent on prayer. We, we can't stand. We, we will not be bold within ourselves. But by the grace of God, we want to be faithful. Uh, it's just like a few years ago, I had this lady, dear lady of the church, and she, uh, she asked me when this homosexual stuff was all coming out, she says, you know, are, are we as a church going to stand fast in terms of what the Bible says on that issue? And uh, she says, my brother is telling me that you are not going to stand fast. Now, I want you to know I've never met this guy that I know of. <laughs> but he, he evidently knows me pretty well. <laughs> but I said, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'll die first. I mean, this is such a clear issue in the gospel that there's no way that I could ever be faithful and compromise on that issue. No matter what the pressure is, even if, even, no matter what happens, there are just some things that you cannot, you can't go there. Well, Paul's uh, prayer and earnest expectation hope is that he, in nothing he will be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. He'll continue to be a bold witness. Um, and yet, it's going to be tough. He knows that. But notice his, his uh, desire. So Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. This is the core desire of the Apostle Paul. Uh, that Christ would be on display in his life. That Christ would be magnified in his life. Uh, to magnify something is to make it large. To exalt Christ is the idea. Uh, to put him on display. Not about Paul. Say, well, the great apostle Paul. And Paul wasn't concerned about, he didn't want himself to be on display. He wanted Christ to be magnified. To make Christ large in this context. And it was a big challenge. Uh, how, how big was Nero? I mean, in his own mind. In his own culture, in, in this context. Nero had a pretty big head, right? Nero considered himself a sort of a god. Well, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty big perspective. Paul wants to kind of say, Nero, you're just a puny little guy. Jesus is the big God. He's the true God. He wants Christ to be exalted. Put things in perspective. That's a pretty big, uh, pretty big job. Well, um, when he talks about to his body, uh, the only way that the, an unbeliever is able to see Christ today 
is in the life of the believer. Uh, the way you magnify Christ in your body is to put him on display more and more. Life becomes less and less about self, more and more about Jesus. Uh, to magnify Christ is to think the way Jesus thought, to live the way Jesus lived, to do what Jesus did, to react the way Jesus did, to say what Jesus did, to die the way Jesus did. is to show people the reality of, of Christ living in you. To magnify Jesus is to put him in the spotlight so people can, cannot help but see him. <clears throat> That's the goal, uh, that, that Christ would be magnified in our lives, uh, whether by life or by death, that he would be seen as large. Uh, that's, that's the goal. And uh, notice he says, whether by life or by death, whether by life or by death. Uh, the real issue for Paul was not whether he lived or died, but that Christ be exalted in the whole process, uh, whatever that is. This was the focal point of his existence at this point. Uh, it's all about Jesus. And, and by the way, uh, that Christ would be magnified. God can put himself on display in a big way, whether it's by life or by death. Sometimes he does it through life, and sometimes he does it through death. Uh, And really, we ought to see every day, whatever's coming our way, and Paul came to see this, uh, it's an opportunity to magnify Christ, that Christ would be seen in and through me. Whatever my circumstances are, uh, it's a great challenge, but it's a wonderful opportunity if you see it that way. And even death. Uh, You know, Peter... uh, after his resurrection, um, Jesus told Peter, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked wherever you wished. I mean, Peter was kind of a, I think, a, you know, he was a guy taking the, the bull by the horns, kind of going to live life the way he wanted to live it and do things his way. But he said, but when you are old, it's not going to quite be that way anymore, Peter. You will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Well, we know. Where did they take Peter? They took him to a cross, as, fine, as we find the tradition teaching us. And uh, Peter said, you know, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord was. But he insisted on being crucified upside down. But Christ continued here. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to, said to him, follow me. And of course, Peter saying, what about this guy? <laughs> what about John? <laughs> but uh, the point here I wanted to bring out is signifying by what death he would glorify God. God uses death to bring glory uh, to himself as well as our lives. And so uh, either way, Paul says, either way, his desire is that Christ would be magnified in his body. What, what a great prayer that is. Lord, be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Whatever happens here, that you would be on display, that you would be magnified. I read about a logo that a missionary society had. And uh, on one side, they had a picture of a plow. And on the other side, they had a picture of an altar. And underneath, it, it said, ready for either. Ready for either. The plow or the altar. Ready for either. Well, that's where Paul was. That's where Paul is right here in verse 20. All right. Any other thoughts? Yes, Bill.
Yeah, you know, we live in an apostate context, and that's a hardened context. And, you know, you talk about, like, the Northeast. They talk about the burned-over district where Finney came in there all the time. They'd have revival. They'd just fall away. A lot of them were never saved, but they'd make a profession. Next year, he'd come through, same thing. After a while, it became burned out. One of the hardest places in the United States for years, the, burn, the burned-over district. I think we got a whole country kind of like that. There's a, there's a hardening that goes with apostasy uh, where they just, they're not sensitive anymore. They've heard it a thousand times and they just don't care. Now, there's a lot of people who haven't heard it all anymore too. We're post-Christian here. But, but uh, you know, uh, Bill, my conviction is if the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God through Spirit-filled believers can't get through, there is nothing else that's going to get through to them. So we are, we are completely dependent upon God. I think Paul, that's why he's asking for prayer. And I don't think Paul was concerned about the results here. I think his real concern is that he be defend, uh, defense for the gospel and let the chips fall where they may. If I did my job, that's good enough before God. Uh, results are God's. So um, we kind of leave it with God at the end of the day. Um, we can't do it anyway. It requires a supernatural miracle from God. He is faithful to build his church, and the remnant maybe gets smaller and smaller in days of apostasy, and yet he is still faithfully building it. There are some people, praise the Lord, there are some people here tonight, right? There's people praying. Undoubtedly, if the Lord tarries, we'll have people here Sunday. <laughs> so there is still a church, and uh, God is still building it. All right. That's good, though, Bill. I appreciate that. Any other thoughts? Okay, very good. Uh, we have one long verse to finish out. Short. Verse 21. Somebody want to read that for us? Yeah, Albert. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love this verse. Uh, Paul kind of summarized his whole life's purpose right here in verse 21. In a very succinct way. Uh, if you were to uh, state the purpose of your life... Uh, how would it be stated? You know, you could put this on a tombstone. It'd be pretty easy to get this on there. I mean, you ought to be able to maybe say the purpose of your life in a, in a short little sentence. W- what drives you? What's the purpose of your life? Well, to me, for to me, he says, this is what defines him. Uh, you might even call this a kind of a key verse for the entire book here. Uh, we usually say Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There's a tremendous emphasis on joy in the book. But I love this verse. Uh, It's a great life verse. If you want a life verse, it's a good verse to live by and say, here's the purpose of my whole life. For to me to live is Christ. This is his whole purpose in living. You boil it down. It's Jesus Christ. It's not about Paul. It's no longer about him. It's all about Christ. He says this lots of different times, lots of different ways. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. The I here has died. Crucifixion is death. There's been a death. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. You know, the I that lives for me. It's no longer about me, Paul says. I died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Isn't that amazing? The living Christ is living his life through us as his people. That's what he says. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this life is lived out, this Christ life is lived out by faith. It's a walk of faith. 
as I allow him to have his way in and through me. For to me to live is Christ. Uh, and there's, there's the ultimate issue here. Who or what are, are we living for? What am I living for, really? What really makes me tick? Uh, what are you living for? Uh, that, that's the ultimate issue here. Uh, it's good to take inventory. Everybody lives for something or someone, right? If you're not living for something or someone, please raise your hand. I'd be interested in seeing what that is. Of course you are. Everyone's living for something or someone. Uh, for some, their goal in life is wealth. For others, it may be position, pleasure, power, glory, whatever. It might be work, family, prestige. But the fact is everyone has a motivating factor in life. In the end, it comes down to self or Christ. I think there's, there's really where it comes down to. Uh, all these things really relate to self. Uh, most people are living for self, although it takes on a myriad of forms. Uh, for to them, to live is self. It's about them and theirs and not about Christ and his. This verse becomes a very good evaluation by which to take inventory of our lives. So, uh, yeah, what's our purpose statement? Why are we living? For to me, to live is to make a good living. <laughs> well, okay, soon your time will be up, and then what? You know, you really want to, you want to live for something that's going to outlast you as far as this world here. Of course, you're going to continue on forever too, but uh, want to make it uh, in light of, live in light of eternity. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The word gain means profit. To die is profit. In fact, we're not going to get into it tonight, but uh, he's very clear uh, that to go and to be with Christ is far better. He didn't say, well, it just kind of inches out. No, it's far better. Uh, to die is gain. I mean, you don't leave everything behind. You go to it. And, and it's gain. It's a profit. It's to your advantage. And I often say, you know, this verse kind of goes together. If uh, the first part is true, then the second part is true. If for you to live is Christ, then to die is gain. I'm talking about rewards here, eternal reward. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. How true that is. Uh, you're not a fool to, to give what you, you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Only one life to live, as my mother taught me, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ is going to last. And uh, how wonderful, if you've lived for Christ, to die is gain. You don't have to say, oh my goodness, I'm going to leave everything. No, it's actually gain in Christ. There is a kingdom to come. There's an eternal reward to come. Uh, in his presence is fullness of joy. All the things that we read about in the scriptures, it, it is true. The best is yet to be for those who are true believers. Okay, uh, somebody else have anything else? No? I guess I exhausted the topic. No, I didn't. There's, there's no way you exhaust anything in Scripture. Okay, well, very good. I appreciate uh, your input here tonight. <clears throat> Let's uh, share some prayer items here. Do you have a prayer sheet? We have some prayer sheets in the back back there. <clears throat>